Hail and well met, everyone. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a podcast by a nerd for other nerds that love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather, and I'll be your host as we journey into the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. I want to apologize if I'm a little more subdued for this particular episode. I want to lead off with a little bit of a disclaimer. This particular topic is historically accurate. These things did actually happen. But what happened to the women I'm going to be telling you about is very depressing. It's actually one of the reasons why I sound so subdued. I finished doing my research earlier And it's honestly taken me a couple of hours to be able to sort of compose myself enough to where I feel like I can sit down and start talking about it. Especially because the book I used for my research, which is called The Radium Girls, is written by a woman named Kate Moore. And she did an amazing job putting together this story. She did a lot of research, had a lot of commentary, included quotations from actual family members of the women who had been affected. And unfortunately, even though her she did it in prose style, so she did fill in some of the gaps with things that happened or things that may have happened, but the facts of what happened remain the same. And It was very moving. I'm not going to lie. I cried several times. So if you are someone who does not like hearing about depressing historical occurrences or finds those topics very triggering in any way, then I really strongly recommend skipping this episode. I don't want to get into this topic and, you know, accidentally cause anyone extra grief It is also a topic that is going to be dealing very heavily with radiation poisoning. So for anyone who's had anyone in their family who's died of radiation poisoning or who has any sort of issues with that, I just want to be upfront about it. It, I'm going to try not to be super graphic because I do try to keep my show family friendly, but it's going to be sad. It's not going to be a happy episode. I do think, though, that it's an important topic to cover because it's one of those things that a lot of people don't realize happened. A lot of people don't know it occurred. It was very, very media covered back in the day when it happened, but that was back in the 1920s, 1930s, and so much time has passed. And it does get covered, I know, at least briefly in history classes, but often it might just be a line or two. In the history classes, unless you're taking a class that specifically deals with industrial age, like 1920s, 1930s U.S. history. So the entire thing starts off with the discovery of radium, which was discovered by the Curies, Marie and Pierre, in 1898. Specifically, they discovered the formulation that is known as radium chloride. They extracted it from uraninite, and they were able to publish that discovery in the French Academy of Sciences just five days later. And it had a lot of incredible metallic properties, or excuse me, incredible properties in its metallic state that could be used for a lot of different things. They discovered that it could be used for things like taking pictures. It was used in 
nuclear medicine, which was a thing back then, because they didn't have enough information to know just how toxic radiation was. They knew it eventually, that it wasn't good for them, but at the time, they didn't think it was toxic. And there were even medications that the U.S. allowed to be sold. The Federal Drug Administration allowed this to be sold because they didn't know there wasn't enough evidence at the time to definitively say that the radium was poisonous. There was a medication called Radithor. It was a liquid you could take. And there's a famous case that happened around the same time as the Radium Girls where this gentleman was sick and his doctor prescribed Radithor and he took it and the effect was so fantastic it cured the issue he'd been dealing with that he just drank bottle after bottle after bottle. He started drinking a bottle of Radithor every day. Ultimately, he consumed around 200 or so bottles of Radithor and he died of radiation poisoning because he had ingested radium on a daily basis. And that was one of the cases that actually helped towards pushing the radium girls even further forward and getting more labor laws put in place because that particular gentleman was not a working class woman. He was a man who had money. He had more influence. And so his death was more publicized and pushed things forward. The radium industry did a lot at the time to suppress any information that proved that radiation was bad for the girls or that radium itself was toxic in any way to them because it was a big moneymaker item for them. So none of these companies wanted it publicized or wanted it really known to anyone if they could help it that the radium paint was toxic to the women and that they were going to end up getting radiation poisoning from it. The entire thing started in 1914 when Dr. Sabin Arnold von Sochaki, I might be saying that last name wrong, and Dr. George S. Willis started a company called the Radium Luminous Material Corporation. They took radium and produced different products, and the one that they honestly became their biggest business was producing radioluminescent paint. So essentially, they were creating radioactive paint. The reason that this was a big application for them and something that they could get a lot of money from is because those paints could be used to paint watch faces. And those watch faces, the numbers would then glow, as would the hands if they painted them so that they could be seen at night. And this became a big military contract for them and allowed them to make a lot of money and have several different companies, excuse me, several different factories throughout the country. They had one in Orange, New Jersey. They had another one in Ottawa, Illinois. And they had a third one in Waterbury, Connecticut. And ultimately, they became known as the United States Radium Corporation. And it was a very big company, especially at the time. Obviously, it's not around anymore, but at the time, they were big money, big deal, big company, and they employed a lot of different workers. In addition to all of the women who would later become named the Radium Girls, is the term that generally gets used to refer to them, but at the time, they were dial painters. They would go to the factories in the morning, and they would use special paints made of radium 
to paint the numbers on the watch faces. And they would do this because it would make it so that at night, the numbers on the watch faces would glow. This was big news. Like I mentioned earlier, they had a huge contract with the military. So what would happen is they would then ship these watch faces and completed watches to the military, and it let them have watch faces they could see at night. For obvious reasons, this was very beneficial, but unfortunately at the time, not everything was known about how harmful radiation was and how harmful radium in particular was. The women in the factories were encouraged to paint via a process called lip dip paint or lip dip, lip tipping. And what that literally meant is that they would take the paintbrush and put it between their lips and use their lips or their tongue to make the brush pointed because anyone who's ever painted, even with just watercolors or something, knows that after a while of repeated use, the tip on the brush isn't quite as refined. It's not as pointed, it's not as easy to use, and the company wanted them to waste as little paint as possible. So they didn't want them using rags, and they didn't want them using water. They wanted them just using their mouths to tighten the point very quickly and with as little loss as possible or at least as little loss of paint as possible. Not surprisingly, this led to all of the women who worked in these factories ingesting small amounts of radium on a daily basis, and some of them were also exposed to even more of it because they were allowed to eat lunch at their work table. And as you can imagine, you know, they would mix their own paints in these special crucibles with the raw powders and everything, and then use those to paint the faces. But what would happen is that because they're mixing with powders, they would end up with radium dust all over their workstations. And they were allowed to eat at their workstations. It was even encouraged because it would make them more efficient since they could get right back to work after their lunch break. And they were mainly just told not to get anything on the watch faces, which is horrible considering what we now know about radium and radiation. It should also be noted that even though they didn't know the full extent of how bad radiation and radium was for their workers, at least not initially, as far as we know, they did still know that radiation exposure was a concern because they took precautions to have their chemists and a lot of their other workers who were working with the radium use special equipment to protect themselves. They would use, you know, special aprons and lead screens and masks and tongs. They weren't anyone who had value in their eyes, so their chemists in particular, were using protective gear. But none of those things were applied to the women working in the factories. Like I said, they were encouraged to use the lip dip paint method in order to keep the tips of their brushes sharp. And they were paid practically nothing. I mean, even by today's standards, when you compare the amount of money they were getting, it's practically nothing. They were paid on a piece by piece payment, so they didn't make a number, an amount of money based off of how many hours they worked. It was all based off of how many pieces of work they got done. So how many faces did they paint? And on an average day, they were expected to paint 
about 250 dials a day. That's 250 dials of lip dip paint. And that was just the average. Any girl who was particularly fast at it could have been painting many more faces a day than that. But the amount they were paid was very minute by comparison, especially given now what we know about how much risk they were taking and what they were doing. They were only making about a penny and a half, which by 2017 equivalent was of roughly 29 cents per dial. So they were only making about 29 cents times 250. So by today's, roughly today's equivalence, since that number is from 2017, they were poisoning themselves every day and only getting paid about 72.50 a day. So for not even $100 a day, they were slowly killing themselves. During the time when the paint was the most commonly used and when this was occurring, a lot of the women, and there were at least roughly 4,000 workers that were hired by the corporation to paint the different watch faces, they started to see the women suffering from anemia, bone fractures, necrosis of the jaw, which especially given that they were putting the paint into their mouths is not a big surprise. A lot of them started having teeth falling out and things like that. And at the time, they did have some x-ray machines that they could use for investigation, but a lot of those machines back then would have subjected the women to extra radiation, so that probably didn't help a whole lot. Also, there was a lot of disinformation being put out there because the company, like I said, made a lot of money off of these. And so they didn't want people knowing how bad it was for them. They didn't want the women to stop working. They didn't want to lose their trained workforce. And a lot of them, it's hard to say how much of it was just people not knowing what the symptoms were of the disease and how much of it was the companies actually, you know, paying to keep medical professionals quiet or something like that. There's there's a lot of gray zone there because we just don't have an, all of the information to say that every single doctor was paid off by them. But at the time, a lot of people didn't know that radiation poisoning was a thing. Or if they knew it existed, they didn't think that radium could do it because it had been touted as being healthy and good for use in human medicine. So they just didn't have all the information. And because of that, a lot of women had their deaths categorized as things like syphilis or other infections or, you know, severe anemia caused by X, Y, and Z. They did not often bring it back to the paint. They didn't want the company didn't want that to happen and like i said how much of it was paid off how much of it was just uninformed doctors is really hard to say so we're going to take our break and when i come back i'm going to tell you more about the litigation that occurred so all of the lawsuits and whatnot that occurred that finally got things to change for the women and for workers in general in the united states as well as unfortunately, some of the sadder stories. (laughs) 
Okay, everyone, so I'm sorry that this week's episode is a little sadder than what a lot of mine have been. But for our mid-episode break, I want to talk about two things. One is the newest show that just came out from Nerdsmith, The Countless Heroes. I mentioned it, I believe, last week and possibly the week before. It's a live stream on Twitch, but we're also going to be posting the episodes on YouTube. Or you can catch them after the fact as they're recorded on Twitch as well. Our Twitch handle is We Are Nerdsmith, so you can go there for more information. You can also go to our website where there's links to go see the episodes. And I really think you guys would enjoy it if you like actual play D&D. There's a group of 16 of us players and one DM because Logan is amazing but crazy. And we play five nights a week which I understand is a lot, so there's a lot of people who are not going to be able to watch every single episode. For those people, including myself, honestly, what we've done is we have started a recap show. It's called Countless Chronicles, and it's going to be hosted every other Monday by myself and some of the other scribes, the other people who take notes and help keep track of everything. And that also is going to be posted on our YouTube page as well as on Twitch. So you can find it there. Last night, my, or excuse me, Monday night, myself and Tessa did the episode and recapped the first five episodes from our first week. And sorry about my cat in the background. He's very loud. The other thing I want to talk about is World Anvil, which I've mentioned before also. We're using it for countless heroes to help us build the world and keep track of everything, all of the dates and the timeline and the information. It's really a fantastic resource. It's worldanvil.com. If you are a DM trying to build a world, if you're an author trying to start up a story and want to create your world and have somewhere to keep it all, it's a fantastic resource. So I definitely recommend you go check it out. And with that, we're going to go back into this week's topic, the Radium Girls. So the women who were involved in working at these clock face companies, and I do apologize, I think I misspoke earlier and said that all three were the U.S. Radiation Corporation. One of the factories that's most well known was actually owned by a different company, and that was the one in Ottawa, Illinois. It was owned by the by a radium dial. But they all had the same problem, which is that they were using the radium paints developed by Dr. Sochaki to create these glowing watch faces. And all of the women were taught the same style of lip dip paint. So regardless of what company, across the board, all of these women were being exposed. And there had been some minor litigation here and there. For instance, in Waterbury, Connecticut, which was one of the USRC, I'm just going to use the shorthand, USRC, the U.S. Radium Corporation, one of their factories, they had settled out of court with several families, basically implying to them that it wasn't really the radiation, but that the company felt bad for them, so they were going to give them some money, that kind of thing. They were trying to play it off as not being radiation and radium related. Obviously, we now know that it was, but at the time, they were trying to play it off, trying to make sure that it didn't get publicized. They didn't want people to know. And all of these families that settled out of court, they got some money to help pay for the expenses at least, which back then were astronomical. Insurance wasn't the way it works now. 
where ev- pretty much everyone has it or has something. And so the bills they were getting, while small by today's numbers, were huge for them. So some of these families had two or $5,000 debts owed for medical bills, which at the time was a huge number. That would be like one of us owing a hospital, you know, $50,000 or $100,000 for medical care. I'm lucky enough to have insurance through my husband and I could get it through my own work if I needed it. But not everyone had that option back then. And in fact, most people did not have that option back then at all. So these families, these working class families owed a ton of money and didn't really seek hardcore litigation because of it. They couldn't afford it. They just needed money to help pay right away. They couldn't do it. It wasn't until a couple of women who worked in the factory in New Jersey really put their feet down and fought. And even then, they ended up settling out of court, but they made huge headway compared to what a lot of women had made so far. The first major litigation that was brought against any of these companies was started by one of the former factory workers, a woman named Grace Fryer. She decided to sue because she realized that a lot of the medical issues she was having could be explained by the radiation poisoning that she had just heard about because there had just been a study published recently. So she contacted a bunch of lawyers, but it took her two years to find a lawyer that was willing to take on the case. And when she did finally find him, she was able to also get several of her former co-workers, um, Edna Hussman, Catherine Schaub, and two sisters, Quinta McDonald and Albina Larice. They all joined the lawsuit and sought litigation against the company. Previously, the company had established some legal precedents saying that the two-year statute of limitations was based off of when the women had left the company. Their lawyer was able to argue that at the time that the women worked at the companies, the company had hidden information about the fact that radiation was poisonous and that therefore the publication that had come out announcing that radiation and radium actually was poisonous should be used as the two-year date and not the date of when the women worked at the factory. Luckily, he was able to get a judge who agreed with that, and so the women were able to sue the company and get some restitution. Ultimately, they decided to settle out of court, and they were each granted $10,000, which doesn't sound like a lot, but at the time, it would have been quite a bit of money. And they were also each given a yearly stipend of $600, which, again, not a lot by our standards, but at the time would have been a fair chunk of money. So as long as the women were continuing to suffer the effects of the radiation poisoning, which, of course, we all know was going to be for the rest of their lives, they were going to get a stipend yearly from the company. One of the caveats was that they had to submit themselves to examinations by a committee. Now, it was supposed to be a committee of three different doctors, one chosen by the women, one chosen by the company, and one that was agreed upon by both sets of parties. Obviously, there's, you know, some twist around things that tried to happen there, but in the long run, all of the women were continuing to suffer the effects of radiation poisoning. And it was very obvious. All you had to do was 
you know, do things like take a photograph of them with this special film, put them up against the film, and you could see the radiation. They had special testing they could do where the women could breathe into a machine and they could detect how much radiation was in their breath. So luckily, the company wasn't really able to deny it, and they had to keep paying the women. They'd been hoping they'd be able to stop paying them, but they were able to keep getting money. That same lawyer, uh, Mr. Barry, was also able to bring suit with another woman who had worked with the first five. The media termed those women the radium girls, and it was a big to-do. There was news all over the country about these women in New Jersey who had been poisoned and who were suffering horrible ailments. They had growths. They had broken jaws. They could barely walk. A lot of them had such severe crippling pain that they could barely function. Several of them were basically bedridden by the time that the court even started holding the sessions, and many of them passed away very quickly. One of them was able to survive for a while afterwards, but most of them not. The second major litigation that happened, and really the one that ended up bringing about the most change, was later, and it occurred at the Ottawa plant. There, what happened is that another group of women who were also having issues from what had happened and having been exposed to the paint brought suit again. And in particular, they were able to bring suit against the company they'd worked for, which was the Radium Dial Company. And again, the company denied that radium was poisonous. It denied that the paint could have been what caused the women's problems. But ultimately, the court sided in their favor. This is also the case where, in the book that I used for my research, I cried the most because there's a lot of documentation of all of the illnesses that the women were having, and also the suffering of their families, which was very, very sad. The One of the women that had it the worst was a woman named Catherine Wolf Donahue. She had worked for the company for a long time, the radium dial company. And when she first started showing symptoms, she actually had sort of a issue with her hip and she was limping. She couldn't help it. Her le- Ultimately, what had happened is that she had deformities in her legs that were causing abnormal growth. But at the time, she just thought she had some sort of arthritis or something like that. And so the company, having done previously, a couple years before, they had done some medical tests on their workers and discovered that several of them had radiation exposure and radiation poisoning, but they didn't want the women to know because they wanted the women to keep working. So the radium dial company actually hid those documents, hid the doctor's exams, and didn't give it to the women. So none of the women knew that they were even poisoned already. And unfortunately, Catherine Donahue was one of them, and the company, instead of firing her or anything like that, what they did is they moved her to a different job. She'd been such a good worker for them for so long, they told her, we don't want to lose you, so they moved her to where she would sit at a desk and she would measure out the pigments. So she was measuring out the radium powder for the girls to use for their paints and things like that basically exposing her even more. And at least according to Kate Moore's book that I used, and she did research with family members and things like that and documentation from them. So Catherine apparently had the habit of running her hands through her hair 
in order to remove some of the dust from her hands. So you can imagine how much radiation exposure she had. And unfortunately, her body's response to it was as severe as you would expect. She had two children that she left behind, and her court case was the first one out of her group of friends that was tried. The radium dial company referred to it as a test case because they were doing it first to settle that one and figure out what kind of restitution they might have to give out or how things were going to fall. So their lawyer was Leonard Grossman, who had previously battled for other workers' rights, and it was a big deal, and women's suffrage. So he really went to bat for these women. He paid for most of it out of his own pocket and really kept pushing. And even after Catherine won her original court case, the company, Radium Dial, kept pushing and appealing over and over. They appealed at every level of the court they could, all the way up to the Supreme Court. Leonard Grossman even had to get a special license to appear at the Supreme Court to try the case. And ultimately, it was determined that the appeals were dismissed and the original decision upheld of the court's siding in Catherine's favor. Luckily, this meant that her family was going to get some money so they could help pay for all the medical expenses. It also meant that her co-workers, her friends who had gone through the same things she had or gone through similar diseases, would be able to make solid court cases with precedent and get the restitution they were deserved. Ultimately, one of the things that happened from all of this is that a lot stricter laws were put in place in terms of workplace safety. They actually helped put laws in place that protect us from some of the chemicals and things that we can potentially come into contact with at work that can cause us problems. So, for example, I work in a veterinary hospital and we work with x-ray machines. Now, our x-ray machine is digital. We don't have to deal with all of the development chemicals or anything like that. But there are still very strict regulations put in place for us to even go near those machines. We have to wear special gowns that cover our entire bodies and our thyroid area in particular. We have to wear badges that track how much radiation we're exposed to. And we have to send those badges in to be processed. So they track for the rest of my life how much radiation I've been exposed to on those little badges that we have to put somewhere near our heads, ideally, to measure it out. So there's a lot of regulations put in place now that never existed back in the 1920s and 1930s when all of this was happening. And those regulations honestly probably wouldn't have arisen if not for all of these court cases and these women really fighting back against the corporations to say, no, this isn't safe. No, you poisoned us. This is not okay. We should have been told. We should have known. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that some of their health conditions were horrible. I mean, they, these women had growths. They had sarcomas, which are bony cancerous growths in various locations. Several of them, uh, Catherine Donahue, in her court case, one of the things that she did is that she actually pulled out a small box that had pieces of her jawbone in it. She literally had to have pieces of her jawbone removed because they had just broken off. Her bones were so brittle from the constant radium she'd been ingesting, you know, with the lip dip paint method that she'd been told to use, that 
her her jaw just wasn't there hardly anymore at all at the end. Um, things like that that are just awful. And for anyone who knows their early U.S. history in like the 1920s, 1930s era when all of the industrial revolution type situation was happening and when we were developing all these new chemicals and things and even leading into World War I and World War II, um, there were a lot of unsafe factory environments which over time we were gradually able to improve upon and that's why we have things now that are in place you know workers compensation and organizations like OSHA who come in and examine and make sure that all the safety precautions are being taken and even though I'm not gonna lie OSHA can be a little frustrating sometimes because the rules that they have in place are often very, very, very detailed in terms of what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. And in crazy environments that are busy, you know, sometimes it feels like it's dumb that you have to do those things. But the reasons that these laws are in place and the reason it's such a big deal is because of situations like what happened with the Radium Girls. Those organizations are in place to keep us safe, to make sure that something like this, where the company knowingly exposed their employees to this and didn't do anything, you know, situations like that, it's significantly harder for it to happen. And especially nowadays, too, with the internet and social media, I mean, there's no way that a company would be able to get away with this for quite as long nowadays. Because all it would take is a few viral posts online and everything would just explode in their faces. But back then, that wasn't a thing. Back then, the women who lived in Ottawa barely knew about the cases that had happened in New Jersey. So when their company published an ad basically telling them that the radium radium dial uses is safe for you because we use the pure radium and not anything mixed with those other chemicals that caused the women in New Jersey problems, the women in Ottawa believed them because they had no other information to go off of. And radiation poisoning was still so new that none of the doctors in Ottawa really knew that much about it yet either. And like I said earlier, some of them may have been paid off. We just don't know. But all of these things happened. I I would strongly recommend for anyone who wants to learn more and isn't afraid to possibly cry because it's very sad to pick up uh, the book The Radium Girls. It's actually a New York Times bestseller, which I didn't know when I found it. But it's a great book. The full title is The Radium Girls, the Dark Story of America's Shining Women. And these women literally glowed in the dark because they'd had so much radiation exposure. And it's by Kate Moore, M-O-O-R-E. I got my copy on Amazon, so I'm sure they still have more. It was a really good read. It's very well written, even though it's a very sad, sad subject. And if you want to learn more about it, I definitely recommend checking out that book. You can also Google it. There's more information online, of course. If you just want a quick synopsis of just the basics beyond what I've already covered, you could go to Wikipedia, for example, has an article on it. If you type in Radium Girls, it pops right up. No missing it. And although I don't have my topic for next week picked yet, I do plan to try to make it a slightly happier one. But this is a historical situation that I really feel like needs to be known more than it is. 
So I wanted to make sure I covered it as soon as I refreshed myself on the details. I'd heard little bits and pieces about it. I knew that radiation had been used in factories. Well, I didn't know radium specifically, but I knew radiation in general had been exposed to workers in factories because they were using chemicals and things that had it because they just didn't know initially and then because the companies didn't care. But the extent to which it had happened and the exact legislation was something I hadn't heard about until reading this story. So definitely, if you're a history buff and don't mind some of the darker side of history, I recommend checking it out. Please remember to check out the other wonderful podcasts and productions here at nerdsmith.org. I'll be back next week with a new and interesting topic. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Hello, fans of Critical Role. Do you mean to make your music more melodious? Do you seek to sing like Scanlan Shorthalt? We'll look no further than Crosswords, a new video series from the creator of the Critical Role Hamilton mashup album. And also this song. Crosswords with Will Crosswick. Advice and analysis for the musician at the gaming table. Available on nerdsmith.org or wherever you watch your YouTube videos. YouTube, right? Probably YouTube.